It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week we look at uh, sports topics locally, nationally, and I've always got a bone to pick, and I'm going to pick a bone very quickly with the Reds. Can oh, I do that very quickly? Great. Well, I mean, we're going to start with the Reds I, anyway, I know, I know, so go I, ahead. Yeah. Let, me, let me pick the bone that'll, first. That'll be a good transition. They wear me out each year when they pick the cheesiest song to go with whatever commercials they're doing to sell tickets. This year, it's the, I got a real good feeling. I can't do it any time because it's nails on a Hold chalkboard on. to what? me. I, I'm not even doing this to make a joke. I really do not know what song you don't just tell, referenced. Don't, don't, don't tell me you've not I'm heard the being commercial. being serious. I don't know. I got a real good feeling. <laughs> no. It is nails on a chalkboard. I do it worse. I'd probably, I'm probably no, making nails uh, on a chalkboard even more for you people. Who who do you think that's by? Do you I, know? I get no earthly idea. I, I, no One more time idea. for me. I really do not know the song. I got a real good feeling. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, maybe Shazam that so I can find I, it later. I, please, can you just change the music up? You've already worn me out, and we're two weeks into spring training. I get you're looking to sell tickets. I get as an organization, you do got a real good feeling. I get it. I, I, I'm happy for you that you do, but you're wearing me out. What was the song from a couple years ago? The the che- that's it. Can't Is do it. it. I can't do it. Ah! I got a real good feeling. Yes, that song. You gotta admit that will wear you out after a while. You've not heard that seriously. I, I, I really don't know what that song is. Wow. Fortunately for you, my phone died right as that was coming yeah, on. Well, like, it was like magic. That's why I yeah. sang it. I'm sorry to get this podcast off to such a river orange start. I just it, it I heard it coming in this morning. I heard it uh, this morning on T I can't do it. I just I do And the one from a few years ago, what my father's stories or my father told me or whatever that stupid song was by Imagine Dragons or whoever they are, whatever the heck it was. Just, the, I mean, every single time, it's like, just stop. I have really enjoyed doing this podcast with you, but I think I would really enjoy doing a pop culture podcast with you a whole lot. Oh, more. there's no question. It would there's be no un- question. Believable. Yeah, there's no question. All I'll say about that first segment of this show. I'm is sorry, that folks. This, I just had to get that off my chest. This will be tweeted about. Yeah, so, someone will mention this. Yeah, I'm, yeah, and they should. I hopefully it annoys them like it annoys. I, I. I, I think the Reds are, I think what they do from a marketing perspective, they do such a good job. And I get it. They got a real good feel. I get the tie-in, right? Real good feeling about the team this year. Come by, come to our games. Just take take the cheesy music out from underneath it. Just show me a couple of highlights of guys and say the upcoming series is this. It's Joey Votto bobblehead night. Buy your tickets. I'm good with that. Just the cheesy music makes me want to scream and click the station. Okay. Thank you. That's all. All right. One more time. I got a real good feeling. Okay, okay. The Reds are off to a 4-5-1 and one start at spring training in Arizona. Skinny, we'll start real simple. Who has been the most intriguing Reds player through the first two weeks of games that don't matter? There's a couple guys. Mark Payton, because he was a Rule 5 um, uh, draftee, which means the Reds have to keep him on the roster or offer him back to the A's. And it was interesting. They took him when they already had a, what was going to be a crowded outfield. And that was, I think, they did take him before they signed Shogo. But still, it made for a crowded group. And he's... He's done nothing but good things, but the guy who's most is the shortstop, Jose Garcia. He's been yeah, that's the guy. I mean, he's been unbelievable. And I they, look, they, did you see the segment they did the other day where they were asking the players who um, had impressed? Was them he the was most? he the one? Oh, everyone was yeah. like Jose Garcia. Like if, if you look, uh, Garrett's comments about him were hilarious. If you look, he's you know he's only been in, in in professional baseball. Well, actually, in the Reds organization, not professional baseball. He was professional at age eighteen, but. He's only been in the Reds organization for two years, played at Class A Dayton. They skipped rookie ball with him. They put him right in Class A Dayton as a, as a 19-year-old. Then last year as a 20-year-old, he played at Advanced A Daytona Beach. 
and you look at his numbers and they don't wow you. He had eight homers and like 55 RBIs. I think he was, his slash line was pretty good. It was like 280, 340, yeah, his numbers at the plate are pretty impressive. He had 37 doubles though last year. And when I see that from a 20-year-old kid who's six foot two, 175 pounds, this year in spring he's hit three homers. And looks, maybe you can run into a couple fastballs, whatever. But it's still a nice number in the limited number of at-bats. He hit a bullet up the middle yesterday. And when I see the size, I see 62175 for a kid who's 21 years old. What do you think he's still going to do? He's going to get bigger and stronger. And look, I'm not expecting him to turn into A-Rod as a 40 home run shortstop. Um, the numbers don't belie that, but it, it, makes, it reminds me of Dave Concepcion. I mean, he, when he was really young in the, in the early 70s, he was so skinny that people just knocked the bat out of his hands. Well, then he physically matured and became not just a great defensive player, but became a, a really good offensive player. This guy's intriguing to me. I, I don't think for this year, I think it's a big big ass to go from high A to the big leagues. But what if he goes to double A and or triple A or both this year and plays pretty well and come the trade deadline, you've tired of Freddie Galvis for whatever multitude of reasons you've tired of Freddie Galvis. And you can't swing a deal for a shortstop. And maybe come September, this guy puts you over the hump. I, I think that's a big ask. But I do think that by 2021, he might be your starting shortstop. Well, that's the big thing. Jose Garcia has given me hope because regardless of whether Galvis is good enough for this year or not, he, he's a stopgap piece. Right, for this I year, mean, the best. They right? have no future at that position all of a sudden. And it felt like... And Alex Blandino's not that guy. No, it felt like the middle of their defense really at all spots was going to be promising going forward a couple years ago. And now all of a sudden, you have no idea who the shortstop of the future is going to be. We'll enter Jose Garcia all of a sudden because he has been super impressive. And when you look at the numbers... Uh, that he put up last year in in high A high ball, a, yep. the the numbers at the plate are are solid. Yeah, Actually, yes. really pretty impressive for a, for a light shortstop. Again, a twenty year old who's still filling out all of those things. Well, and what call it the Scooter Jeanette rule, I guess. But we've talked about on this podcast a lot how much we like middle infielders with double power because yeah. at Great American Ballpark, all and, of a sudden, a couple more of those fly out, and you become a guy who was just a sort of meaningless home run hitter at ten home runs a year to, to 20, 15, 20. Yeah, and and. He still has got some filling out to do. Like I said, he's six two and one seventy five. That's skinny, man. He's yeah, and they're talking about his athleticism, yes. his explosiveness. The thing that's really interested me because what has held him back as a prospect is he just had a ton of errors. Yeah. So defensively, they just didn't see him being at least the things I had read previously about him a big time shortstop in the major leagues because he wasn't good enough defensively. Now. The airs may not necessarily be gone. It's been way too small of a sample size to know that or not. But he has flashed some leather and made a couple of nice plays already in spring training to where it's like I mean, people are talking about him making the opening day roster. I, and I don't not, see there's I no think chance that's going to happen. Huge, huge Even if jump. he sets it on right, fire, I agree with you. he's just got way too much time still yes. left to grow. Yes. But there's no doubt about it. The first two weeks, the storyline of spring training has been Jose Garcia. Yeah, I mean... Carlos Correa kind of took a quick jump to the Astro system, right? But but he was a little further advanced than than Jose Garcia was in the in the minors, so so it can happen. I, I just I, when we talk about intriguing, he is by far the most intriguing just because the start he's gotten off to. When he looks like upside, he has special potential, yes, yeah. I mean, he has all I mean, the tools, right? Hey, Keith Law, the Athletic, put him in his top hundred prospects of twenty twenty, and and if you look at the numbers, just look at the raw numbers, you go, I don't know about top hundred, right? But he sees something in him, and the kids obviously kind of opening eyes in spring training. So maybe there's something there. And in a year, we're, we're looking already at the parts of this year, right? And talking about, 
you know, Mike Moustakis and Castellanos and all those things, for him to be the guy that pops up as the most intriguing, and it's not just for me, I don't think, and not just for you, I think, as you mentioned, for other players on the team, that says a lot. Well, I mean, there's so many other guys to look at right now. Like, Shogo Akiyama has been playing, and he hasn't been setting the world on fire, but he's gotten some hit, a couple hits. So it's like, there were other things to notice, for sure, and he has been, by far, the biggest story of spring training yeah. over the first 10 games. And uh, I'm really excited about it all of a sudden. I mean, and it's not like he was a complete no-namer. He was a top five prospect in the organization yes. coming yeah, in. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, we had read some things about him, but it just didn't sound all that promising, if we're being honest. It was yeah. like, okay, a guy with some upside, but he's not even close to being on the radar yet. And all of a sudden, boom, he is right on the radar. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I don't think he makes the club, but no. I don't think a September call-up or a late-season call-up's out of the question if he sets the world on fire in the minors this year. Yeah, I mean, he's going to start at double-A, I would assume, yep. and then we'll go from there, right. and it, uh, I'm really excited to follow that the rest of the season. It's been a big month for Reds pitcher <laughs> Trevor Bauer. <laughs> Uh, before the Astros sign-stealing scandal became public, Bauer spoke up about Astros pitchers using foreign substances to increase the spin rate on their pitches in 2018. He wrote in a Players' Tribune first-person story that he studied spin rates for years and hasn't found a way to improve it except for using foreign substances. Bauer's spin, ra- spin rate skyrocketed in September of 2019, suggesting that he may have used foreign substances while pitching that final month for the Reds. He didn't deny it Wednesday, but he appeared to troll former Astros pitcher Garrett Cole with his response. Cole's spin rate dramatically Dramatically went up after joining the Astros. That's been talked about a lot. Skinny, what do you think of the accusations that Trevor Bauer doctored balls last September? I mean, if he did, I mean, it wasn't like he was he was great all season, right? He wasn't over. He was better, I guess, in, in some September starts than others. Hey, man, when you can't when you start throwing stones at other people, and you better be ready to have stones thrown back at you, boy. And that, that's all I would say about that. I, I, it doesn't it, seem like he's necessarily denying either. Like, no, and, I, and, and, and he's and, done this one other time where he admitted to doing it, yep. che- uh, doing this exact thing because he said he was conducting an experiment to sh- prove to everybody. Yeah, that's right. Look, that's this exactly is right. Exactly You're right. I about that. You're right. And so it's almost like I'm assuming this is what he was doing again because again, it's so obvious. He has said. This is the only way to increase spin rate. He's been very outspoken about it, and he was after this season ended. So it almost makes you think that he was doing it on purpose to say, look, I can do it too. Now, and again, he's not doing it in a way that's really helping him. It will be interesting to see if he, he he's obviously had two good outings so far in spring, if he has a bounce back year that we're kind of hoping he has. Maybe not to that 2018 season when he had like a 221 ERA and was selected to the All-Star game. But I mean, in Cleveland, if he was a you know a, a what a three eighty ish ERA pitcher, can he get back to that? Then the thing is, if he gets back to that, do you go? Well, what's the difference between you now and what you did when you came over to the Reds and stunk? Was it just that you know you 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 just weren't good for whatever a ten start period, which that can happen to guys, and it looks bad because that's the number on BaseballReference.com that you see is those ten starts and a six thirty five ERA, or is it just a guy who got back to being what the back of his baseball card was, which is a sub four ERA pitcher? I think the Reds need that. I'm 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 kind of looking forward to that happening, and I think it's going to happen. But man, he just he he keeps putting himself out there, and when you do that, people are going to come back at you, and just be ready for it. I could be wrong. Maybe he's a full-blown cheater, big-time cheater. I could be wrong, but I don't think that's it. He's way too outspoken. He's way too introspective about it. He seems like he really cares about baseball in a weird kind of deep way. So I don't think that's what's going on here, and I don't think that conversation is as interesting about whether he's actually cheating and whether that's going to come back on him because I don't think it will. What I'm more interested in is – is it okay to be do it? Like, let's assume it's what he did last time, which is some type of experiment to prove, like, look, 
you can do this. If, if you want to doctor balls, you can increase spin rate. My team was out of it or whatever. You know, I don't know what explanation you would use, but that's sort of my point is, is it okay just because you have sort of the sanctimonious yeah. attitude towards it that you can all of a sudden cheat for a month of the sport and then like, but call out everyone else? Like, that's a weird thing to do. I don't and, know and that the, I'm okay the, with people the, doing the, that. Yeah, I think the question you'd have to ask based on what you're saying is, if you did it in a game, let's say against the Padres or a team that was out of it, where that was literally when you talk about a mean it was literally a meaningless game. I might be okay with it, but what if you're done it for a full month? But what if you're facing a couple of those starts against teams that are in the playoff hunt and you affected that in some way by doing that? Is that okay? Right. And and again, you I don't mean, seem it, to think it's not you. Probably, I mean, if you're trying, Trevor Bauer doesn't seem to think it's okay for others to do it. Did you do that to affect the pennant race? I, I don't think he did. Probably, but could he have? Maybe. I yeah. have to go back and look at each one of his September starts, and his stats didn't uh, didn't uh, go in his favor Correct. by doing this. Correct. I mean, and again, it, it was, he wasn't really doing it in a manner that would well, help him that much. Then I guess I'd say too. I mean, then if you're playing around with this, are you affecting it also in a negative way because you really weren't taking that start all that serious? Yeah, it's all of this stuff with Trevor Bauer is weird, and he is a weird guy, and that's where I guess like I enjoy talking about him because he's so strange. He has all these talking points around him and I can't really tell if I like him, if he's good for the game or not. I think what I come down to is I don't know that I like him or I like his antics or I agree with the way he goes about things, but I do think he's good for baseball because they need more characters in general. And he does make me care. He does make me want to talk about baseball. And, and honestly, when we come in to do this podcast once a week, I typically have trouble (laughs) thinking of things I want to talk about, but he's given us reason every week. Almost. Um, I was going to try to look up his September starts, so in September, he made four starts against the Phillies, against Seattle, against Arizona, and against the Mets. So four meaningless games, right? Arizona wasn't in it. Yeah, really. Yeah, all of those are meaningless for the most part, I would think. All right. And in those starts, he went five, six and a third, eight and seven. Actually pitched pretty well. He gave up four runs in five innings, gave up two runs in six and a third, gave up a run in eight and five runs in seven. I mean, not, I guess two of those starts were really good. One was mediocre. Yeah, I just saw I just saw um, and he the struck stats it. in he's, an article today, and I, it looked like they were pretty much unchanged. Yeah, he struck out 31 in, he's a high strikeout pitcher anyway, he struck out 31 in 26 and a third innings. So a little more than a strikeout an inning, although that's not rare for a lot of starting pitchers these days. Yeah, but his revolutions uh, jumped in yes, an yeah, insane yeah, yeah, yeah. manner. Yeah. Um, so I guess in theory, those four September starts, he didn't do it against anybody that really mattered. So are you okay with that now? Maybe. And honestly, like he's that deep enough that I could have seen him sort of looking at the situation and saying, we're totally out of it. All the teams we face this month and my starts are going to be totally out of it. He probably took it to that level. So it kind of makes me feel a little bit better about it because like, I do not think this guy is going to cheat in a way that he thinks is bad going for the to game. the game, right. right. Like, I think he is about bettering the game. I think he really, really cares about it. But I, but it's kind of like playing God, right? Like, you don't, just because you think you're right doesn't mean you get to decide how the rules work and how they should, should impact everybody. So it, I don't know that I necessarily agree with him doing this and, and, and it conducting his own experiments on the game and in doing so cheating. At the same time, I kind of love that he does it because it gives us something to talk yeah, about. He's an no, interesting guy. No question. No question. And you're right. Maybe he's smart enough to look and go, I wasn't really cheating anything because none of these games really mattered. My guess is he probably did because like, pretty obvious that he did. He didn't even deny. He didn't right. even look, try to right. deny it. He was pretty much made a joke out of it and said like, yeah, I'm doing my experiment again. And look, I proved it to you once again that I can do exactly what I said. Uh, we need more Trevor Bauer topics. 
Well, okay. Bauer also well, made a scene go. on Monday when he purposely tipped his pitch. I got a real good feeling. <laughs> During an at-bat against the Dodgers' Matt Beattie. After the game, Derek Dietrich said Bauer was doing it in reference to the MLB sign-stealing scandal. However, on Wednesday, Bauer said it had nothing to do with the Astros scandal. Quote, it wasn't team-specific, Bauer said. I did it a couple times last season in games. There are a lot of interesting outcomes from it, psychologically and competitively. Spring training is time to work on things. Who are you believing, Derek Dietrich or Trevor Bauer? I I, think, I believe Trevor Bauer here. I, I, I'm not dissing Derek Dietrich by any stretch of the imagination. I'm... What? But I, I'm he, believing Trevor Bauer. But he was he was it was an homage to the the sign stealing stuff. Well, it, maybe it had to be. Maybe, but I go back. I, I remember playing a summer league game. And I had this catcher who I didn't really even know on another team, um, and he literally he didn't like his pitcher. So that I leading off a game, he goes, he goes, you want to know what pitches are coming? I said, no, I don't. I really don't. Please don't. And he said, he said, I'm going to tell you because I hate my pitcher. I said, okay, that, that's fine. You can hate your pitcher. Don't tell me. He goes, first pitch is going to be a fastball, and I'm, not even, I'm just going to put it, put it down. He goes, I'm not even going to go move, move to a corner. He goes, I'm going to let you take a fastball. So, you know, the game, I'm not swinging at a first pitch. I just, that's not what I did. Sure enough, fastball right down the middle. He goes, dude, I'm telling you. He goes, I'm going to, throw, he's going to have him throw a breaking ball right here, and his breaking ball sucks. It hangs, and you can hit wherever. <laughs> and sure enough, he throws a breaking ball. So I said, I go, I go, ump. I said, please tell him to stop telling me what's going on here. I, I don't want to know. Can't take the heat. Get out the kitchen, skinny. I, he goes, a he goes, psychological gonna, warfare he goes, right there. Another breaking ball coming. And I remember I, I kind of sat there for a second thinking, he's probably right. But I sat on a fastball thinking, I'll adjust. I adjusted and popped out. And as I'm running back, I'm like, honestly, make this guy stop. I, he literally he told me, and I even though I should have believed him after the first pitch, and after the second pitch, I still had hard. It was in my head. Like I can see, I, it and being I can a see Trevor game. Bauer doing stuff like this to get in people's head. Well, because once you're in one or two pitches, and he he went with what he said he was going to do. Now you're like, okay, but he's going to pull the rug out. Right. From under. See, that's what I thought. Right. And so it is a psychological game. I can see it being kind of effective. At the same it turns time, out this catcher did hate this pitcher. By the way, I found that out from another team teammate of his. At the same time, Trevor Bauer in the middle of the game, you know, if you've ever seen a pitcher warm up, you know, they'll flip their glove for a fastball, they'll pull right. it back for a changeup, yeah. they'll yeah. flop it for a curve. He's doing all that in the game, right. which is just a bizarre thing to watch because he's a weird guy. Um, I tend to think it was probably a little bit of both. I think he probably does like experimenting with this and has done it before. I also think he was clearly making a point and no making doubt. a scene. Because he's to been make, so outspoken about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And drawing more attention to the whole sign ceiling stuff. Like, hey, you can't hit it anyway. I'm going to tell you what's coming since you're going to cheat either way. And in the tip of the cap to Trevor Bauer as well, um, he went to Twitter, took the Twitter to basically not apologize to Rob Manfred, but to say, hey, we had a nice meeting. He was a man of his word. I appreciate that. And I think that showed, showed a little something, too, that, look, you can be critical, but if somebody answers to the criticism and – I just thought that was a nice thing for Trevor Bauer to do. Do you think he, Manfred sat him down and said, "Look, guy, let me show you. Let me show you my W twos. Here's what I'm getting paid to protect all, all these yeah. owners by looking like a clown. I'm not actually a complete moron, as most guys that, that get to be in my position aren't. And this is what I'm doing. And Trevor Bauer's like, fair enough. I can't argue with those zeros. Yep. Now you pick up the tab for lunch. Have yeah. a good day. Thank you. <laughs> just don't find me this year because exactly. I'm going to while out on Twitter all year. <laughs> Joe Burrow has been praised every way imaginable. You know what for the Bengals? I got a real good feeling. <laughs> I do not. I do not have a real good feeling. Joe Burrow has been praised in just about every way imaginable since the college football playoffs started in January. However, a compliment he received this week made him uncomfortable. When on the NFL Network Tuesday, Burrow was told that some have compared him to New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady. 
Burrow laughed and asked for those comparisons to come to an end, saying, quote, please don't compare me to the best player of all time. Let me do my own thing. Don't do that to me, please. Skinny, what did you think of his response to the Brady comparison and scouts like Daniel Jeremiah yeah. making the comparisons in the first place? Yeah, Daniel Jeremiah was the one specifically who said exactly that that quote. Um, He's the one who took it to kind of another level there. Look, I mean, we're in silly season, right? And it, it seems like this has been one of the silliest off-seasons of all, especially all the stuff about Joe Burrow not wanting to come to Cincinnati and pulling an Eli Manning to hypotheticals of where Tom Brady might end up, including San Francisco, which already has a starting quarterback, by the way, but it seems like now everybody wants him to go to San Francisco. And then where Andy Dalton's going to go. I mean, we're just, we are in silly season here where everybody's doing everything hypothetical. I look, I know Daniel Jeremiah, that's one of those where he probably started looking at tape and went, Ooh, this will be interesting. And And it is, I mean, we're talking about it. We're not the only ones talking about it. Um, for him to maybe just look and go, ooh, wait, I'm going to put them side by side. Probably if you put a lot of quarterbacks side by side, I bet you mechanically. They look similar. They look pretty similar. You I'm can just, make a lot of I know, arguments. Correct. You, find, mean, yes. you find multiple throws where Lamar, they're Lamar the Jackson, throw. Yeah, Lamar Jackson's a little different. I think Drew Brees a little bit. Phillip Rivers, obviously, the way he holds the ball is a whole lot different. There are some. Yeah, guys but definitely I think he, have their quirks, but they also, if you're finding like the same throw, where right. they've got to do the same sort of yes. body movement, yes. you can make them look a lot more similar with video editing. Yes, correct. I mean, the fact they're both right-handers, I guess that helps. I'm not sure you can make a two at a Tom Brady comparison, can you? Also, people forget both Caucasian. Oh, good point. I See, I didn't even go to that conclusion. That, that's a yep. really good point. Um, I think Joe's, I think Burroughs just reached the point of, just stop. Let, and he's right. Just let, let me come out and if, if 10 years from now, I'm putting up the numbers that Tom Brady did, you want to make the comparison, then do it. And I do think it's kind of unfair because now guess what Bengals fans are going to want? They're going to want immediate Tom Brady-like performance from Joe Burrow, and you ain't getting it. I'm just telling you, in 2020, you ain't getting that. You might get it in 2022. You might get it in 2024. You might never get it. You might get it, hell, as early as next year. But you ain't getting it in 2020. So so that that is unfair. I I, I do get Daniel Jeremiah. I do. And I, I actually respect his work. I think he's a good analyst. I think he's, yeah, he's, he's got a job to do just he's got like a job we to do. do. You have to do 115 mock drafts. Yes, from now correct. I got, I've got so. one coming out, as a matter of fact. I, I believe one, it. I got another one coming out. Yeah. Guess who's going to be taken by the Bengals number one? Um, Chase Young. No, Joe Burrow. Oh. Just in case you're wondering, um, yeah, I, I just think it's unfair. I think I think for Burrow, I think a lot of this stuff has reached the boiling point of just let's just stop the silly season, okay? Just stop. I think he's absolutely at that point, and I will say this whole process has made me appreciate him so much more I think than I great. already did. I think because he's been great. He seems like such a normal, level-headed guy, and you're right. Despite the fact that he's still doing the. the the whole PR tour and doing a really good job of it and, and answering these questions gracefully and thoughtfully. He at the same time can, you can very clearly see that he's like, all right, you guys are being ridiculous at this point. I'm not really fooling with you. I'll answer your questions because I have to, but like, this is nonsense. We all know it's nonsense. I'm not going to keep insulting the fans intellect. And sadly, the, the more stuff like this happens, and I don't think this is going to be him because I don't think it's his personality. It's why I've watched guys come into the Bengals locker room as rookies, and they're great. And you're like, okay, this guy's going to be great. And then a year or two into it comes the jaded part of it. And then the veterans get to him a little bit and go, man, you don't need to talk to these these jamokes. Just, yeah. just, just, yeah. But don't you think that's more about the Bengals the bangle yeah, and them maybe. being perceived that the media hates them because they lose all the time yeah, and maybe. they feel like the media is against them here? But, but my fear then when Joe Burrow has to go through all this stuff is that when he comes to town and we start talking about things like this or, or you know, who do you compare yourself to, though, he's going to get tired of it right off the bat because he's already tired of it. I just, just don't make him jaded before he comes here. I don't think that's his personality. I don't. I think he actually enjoys the back and forth with media. I really do. Um, 
I think he's very conversational. I think what you've, you've said it a couple of times. I think he's actually pretty much a normal guy who suddenly God has made into this superstar and he's been the one anointed to handle it and I think he's handled it great so far. Yeah, he just seems really grounded in yes. terms of how he handles it. And I don't think this. that I don't think that changes. I, I don't. I yeah, mean, you would hope not. He's gonna have a three interception game or he's gonna have to answer for that. And I'll be interested to see, see how he handles that. There. Yeah. Yeah. You don't you don't need that. Um but other than that, he's handled this stuff great to this point. All right. Well, while we're on the topic, according to NBC Sports' Peter King, the LSU quarterback most assumed will be Cincinnati's pick with the first overall selection in the draft, made it clear at the Combine he wants the team to sign A.J. Green, a 31-year-old receiver who is scheduled to become a free agent this month. King did not specify exactly how Burrow delivered the message, but the Monday report noted that the 23-year-old passer met with the Bengals in Indianapolis on Wednesday. The national media narrative has become that Joe Burrow is already making demands to the Bengals. In fact, one of the first headlines I read was that Joe Demurro, Joe Burrow demands Bengals keep A.J. Green. Which made me want to vomit. I mean, that's just it's laughable. What's your take on Burrow's supposed demand that the Bengals keep right. A.J. Green? Let's get the facts straight for starters. He did meet with the Bengals on Wednesday. He did meet with the Bengals on Wednesday at the Combine. That was the Bengals had 45 players they can meet with. He was one of the 45. Makes sense. You're going to draft in the first round. It's an 18-minute meeting. There's literally a timer. When the 18 minutes are up, your time is done. They can also meet with him. Uh, a position coach can meet with him informally. It's literally it's just almost a grab bag. You see prospect you want to talk to, you can go talk to that guy for 15 minutes. So you get a couple of windows. But this was the formal 18-minute interview. And I'm going to guess in that meeting that it probably came up about A.J. Green, right? And Joe, in my opinion, probably said, boy, I'd love to have that guy on this team. I hope you guys are able to sign him. I can't make hey, There's G- no way you want to go. I, I'll tell you what, I'm going to pull in Eli Manning if you don't draft A.J. Green or don't re-sign A.J. Green. That, there's no way that that did not happen. Didn't Absolutely did not happen. What quarterback isn't going to want you to keep an all-pro receiver, Correct. one of the best receivers Correct. in the NFL, a consummate pro, a guy who would be great to help you start your career. What quarterback could, isn't going to want that? I mean, you can Let's see not the, being stupid. You about can this see stuff. the scenario of the Bengals saying, "Listen, AJ Green is a free agent. We're probably going to franchise tag him." What do you think of that? Yeah, well, I hope you guys sign AJ Green. I've, I've loved watching him play for for as long since I was a little kid. He's a great receiver. I'd love to be able to throw to AJ Green. I don't think that's the man. That's just a commonsensical answer to the to the question. And even if it came up in a conversation of, "Hey, I know AJ Green's a free agent. Man, I'd love for you guys to resign him. I'd love to be able to throw to that guy." I don't think it's a demand. That's just a conversation. There's no way he made that demand. There's just it's not his personality. There's no way, shape, or form he made the demand. And I, look, made it clear he wants the team to sign. Of course, of course, he should. Right? Why wouldn't you? But, the, but there's a difference between in the way and you phrase it in your question here. There's no way the narrative was him going in and going. You guys better sign AJ Green. No, that didn't happen. Here's the one thing about Joe Burrow that. I will say he either did himself a disservice or he did it intentionally and it then fairly has caused some of this. He used the word leverage at one point. Yeah, you're right. And that really is only used when you're talking about having leverage. Contract negotiate negotiations. Right. Right. And so it, it made you it made it feel in that manner like there was some thought about something else going on there that he had some other notions about what might happen other than him just going number one of the Bengals. I fully feel that he just didn't want to say, Hey, I'm going to be drafted number one overall because it hadn't happened yet. I think he was trying to be normal when he said that, but he used the word leverage and it probably was regrettable term. And that is what's caused a lot of this, I think. And, and somewhat fairly with that word, everything else aside from that though, in terms of the the storylines that have been driven by the media, 
It's stupid. It's ridiculous. None of them have really had any merit aside from the the, the time he used the word leverage. I can kind of see where people were going with that. Yeah, a bit. no, I, I think you're right, and that's where I go back to. There's no way he walked in there and demanded AJ Green. What do you like? Hey, AJ's a free agent. What do you think of us resigning him or put a franchise tag on? Boy, I'd love. I I really hope you sign that guy. Well, and that was that a demand or is that a? Boy, I really hope you sign that guy. That wasn't even what the reports, right. which were by right. unnamed source, you know, Peter King naming on not naming his sources, but putting it out there. That's not even what he reported, right? I mean, he just reported that he made his what? What was it? Is made it clear? Yeah, made it clear that he wants the team to sign AJ Green. All that all that would be is. Yeah, I would definitely like A.J. Green right. as opposed to not having right. That would be making it clear. That's common sense logic, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the fact that this is even a story, and it's like, what do you do as the media, right? Because the only reason this becomes a story and the national media continues to do this is because it'll drive clicks. People Correct. will click on it. No doubt. And it's like, it's insulting to the fans, but then we sit here and we talk about it because it is this well, ridiculous storyline in our refu- city. Yeah, I'm trying to refute it, though. That's the so, part. Of course we are. But then it's like, at some point, you almost feel like, you're continuing the nonsensical narrative because we're talking about it, giving more clicks to what's going. I mean, the whole thing is just ridiculous at this point with the NFL draft. Bengals fans, here's my suggestion. Go to sleep, wake up on April 24th, the day after the first round of the draft, and you'll be much happier when you wake up and Joe Burrow is is a Bengal. That, that, all the nonsense will be behind you, you at that point. You know what else will make you a lot happier? What's that? It's March, baby. It Even is March. Even Let's better. shift gears and just talk some college hoops. Kentucky beat Auburn over the weekend. The Mountain West Conference Tournament is going on. The A-Sun Tournament is going on. The Ohio Valley. The Horizon League. One conference tournament season, my nothing friend. Nothing better than afternoon There's hoops, nothing, I love it. We'll get to conference tournaments here in a second. But first, Kentucky beat Auburn over the weekend, but then dropped a surprising home game to Tennessee 81-73 Tuesday, in which the Wildcats blew a 17-point second-half lead. UK is one of the more interesting teams to look at heading into the NCAA tournament due to the discrepancy between their record and actual ranking in the polls versus their ranking in the predictive metrics. The Cats are 24-6 and overall and 14-3 and in the SEC. They're currently ranked 10th in both the AP and the Coaches Poll. And we've talked about how much better they've looked over the last month plus as they've reeled off eight straight wins and 12 of their last 13 prior to the Tennessee loss. The other side of the conversation is the Cats are ranked 30th in Ken Palm with an offense that ranks 33rd in efficiency and a defense that ranks 49th. They're ranked 25th by Bart Torvik, 22nd in the net, and then they rank 15th in KPI and 10th in the Sagarin ratings, which is a complete variance. It's ridiculous. You, You really can't find another team this late in the year that has that type of variance in the metrics. Skinny, what does the eye test tell you? And do you believe the predictive metrics or the results-based more? Results-based polls more? I, I believe in Ken Palm a lot. I do. I mean, I've written columns in the last couple of years where you have to really look at the numbers. And, and if you go back to the last, the last whatever number of NCAA tournament championship teams, you fall into a certain window. Every one of them did, whether you're elite on offense or elite on defense. And even if you're not elite on offense or defense, you better be in a pretty what was upper it, like top 25 of both. I think that's is where right. I, I think that's somewhere correct. around there. I think there's one outlier, and I believe it was the uh, UConn? UConn team that that, that uh, won the championship. Yeah, they're the outlier for pretty much everything, for everything you can because say about they just Champions. went on that crazy run with one guy yeah, going, and they going stunk. off. Yeah, no, they weren't a great team, but they, again, that was that. And there's always one outlier to everything, right? Yeah. And I'm talking about. I think the ones I've done have been at least a 20-year window, as far back as oh, Ken yeah. Palm goes. I yeah, mean, so we're crazy. not talking about a three-year window here. And I'm going to probably do it again this year because you, you, it's a, it really is a good guide. I mean, as much as we made fun of Virginia, they at least fell into the metric range last year. Now, they also fell in the re- metric range the year before, except on offense. Remember last year, they took at least a step forward. Oh, yeah, they were good on offense. offense yeah. yeah, and the year before, they did not. And while it, that really didn't predict a 
upset by UMBC, it also predicted that they probably weren't going to win the NCAA championship based on that. So I think I got to trust Ken Palm. The the weird part is Sagar Rings have been around for a long time, and just the variance of all that, the the net, they took a seven, they took a seven uh, spot drop off the loss to Tennessee in net. That sounds crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, usually this time of year you're down a spot, up a spot, down to well, it's up because two. they were favored to win that game by like eight I, points or something. I so guess it, it's but, the predictive metrics a lot of times. And again, the net is like they say it's not supposed to be predictive, but it has some predictive tendencies, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. But the the net is or the, when you see a drop like that, it's usually in the predictive stats. It's usually because you failed to meet expectations significantly for whatever like right. the spread of the game was right. essentially right. Um, like I said, I'll go back to I believe Ken Palm a lot, but my eyeballs also tell me I think I believe in this team in March now as much as I believe in any other team in the country. I just I think the Tennessee game probably and I Calipari wants to tip his hat to Tennessee and I do too. I thought they did great things. They made a bunch of shots. I also think Kentucky somehow decided in the last five minutes that Nick Richards didn't exist on the offensive end of the floor. It didn't seem like they gave him a touch whatsoever. Felt like their guards decided to play a little hero ball. And look, that happens in games. I mean. Trust me, as a coach, you're trying, you want to run a set, and suddenly a kid decides he wants to be a hero, and he's not trying to do it because he's being selfish. He just thinks he can make the play. And Kentucky guards went crashing into the lane, got stripped, and off Tennessee went and basically put, put the game away. And you can fix that in the next film session of, listen, hey, when the game got tight, you guys all tried to do this. And maybe for Kentucky, this is the best thing that happened to them. This is kind of the last wake-up call of, hey, we got away from what we've done successfully. But... I also I'm not a, I'm not anti metrics. I'm old school. I believe what my eyes tell me, but I also believe in Ken Palm metrics more than I believe in any other metrics. And those metrics don't make me go out. Doesn't make me think this team's gonna go all that deep in March based on those numbers. Yeah, it doesn't suggest that they will. At the same time, I think we need a little more context to this conversation because part of the reason that we feel Kentucky is potentially dangerous this year is because. The, the college basketball landscape, right? right there, It doesn't seem to be any dominant teams at all, and the teams that are at the top seem vulnerable for certain, especially for a team that gives you what Kentucky gives you in terms of they have a seven-footer in an era where you don't there have aren't any. a lot of big men, true big men at all. Or quality big men. There were some big men, but not quality big men. Yeah. Right. It's certainly not stars in, yeah. in the sport. Um, they have three point guards that all bring a little bit – something different to the table, but they're very difficult to, they turn the ball over some late in games, but they're not a team you can like lock up in terms of uh, trap their ball handlers and really bottle them up. And then they've got a shooter in Emmanuel quickly who can really get hot and carry them and, and really should be in running for sec player of the year. So I think that's part of why we feel the way we do about Kentucky. Not so much that they've been a great team this year that hell, I mean, they have the worst loss in college basketball by far this year, and one of the worst losses in the history of the sport. Don't bring up Evansville to John Calipari. No, no, he's done talking about it, and with good reason, because that's kind of how I feel about this Kentucky team, too. To your point about the Tennessee loss and be eye-opening and, and, and wake-up call, I kind of agree with that more than I worry about how inconsistent they are, because while you look at the... I think they've been extraordinarily consistent. That's what I was going to say. Like, Granted, you have the Evansville loss. You have that sort of period where you, they lost to Utah. Um, they, they they didn't play well, all that... Also, Ohio State, when Ohio State yeah, was actually playing pretty well. They lost to Ohio State. They didn't play all that well through that stretch in general. But since then, 
this team has turned around and they've been pretty darn consistent and pretty darn reliable games where you know Nick Richards was in foul trouble didn't give them much against Auburn they found a way to tough it out grit out get a win um, other games Emmanuel quickly has done it from the outside they've found different ways to win a lot of games during this stretch and so that's why I'm not as concerned about the Tennessee loss I do feel it was more of a slip up an outlier performance, a night where your guys quit, started playing some hero ball, and got outside themselves while another team was having their best stretch of basketball. Just, yeah, of the just season. started making shots and Fulkerson dominating. And the that lane does and, happen sometimes. Yeah. So that's more how I took it. Um, but I've been higher but, on this but, UK team. But you're me. also a believer in the metrics too, right? Big time. And, and I question UK as like a national championship team. But you got to understand where the conversation started with this UK team. People were calling it the worst UK team ever a couple months ago. And so to come from that to where we are now, the conversation isn't that UK is one of the best teams in the country and should make a run through March. The conversation is, are we looking at a team that could be kind of like a dark horse Final Four team right. as a four seed? And I think they are that. And I still believe that even despite the Tennessee loss, you, even despite what the metrics say. You think Gonzaga or San Diego State as a one seed wants to see Kentucky as a four? Hell no. Exactly. And that's the thing always Baylor? about Kentucky when they're... Now, Baylor depended upon lower. the injury to, 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 uh, to Teague, but I mean... I don't think Baylor wants to see him either. No. So, yeah, if, if them as a four seed's pretty dangerous. I, I would agree with that. All right, Skinny. Conference tournament time. As yes. we mentioned, the Horizon League started on Tuesday and continues Thursday night. The Big East, Big Ten, and SEC start next Wednesday. And the AAC starts next Thursday. So I'll ask you this. Rank the local teams in order of most likely to win their conference tournament to least likely. All right, we're going to go Kentucky, UC, Xavier, X, and, and NKU. KU. Because Miami is not going to win the four the staples. In case you're Miami's not going to win the match. The four teams we talk about the most in this conference tournament. Shout out to Jed Demusi. And I don't think Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten tournament. They're capable. Has Miami won a game yet this year? Yeah, they've won some games. Okay, they've, they've won I, a handful. They beat Bowling Green the other day, and actually Bowling Green's pretty good. My shout out to my guy Pete Schramm. His coach, the best coach in the country, got beat by Miami. That's not good. That's not good. Can't Come on, happen. Pete. Can't, can't happen. All right, so rank them in order, right? Yes. All right, I'm going to go NKU most likely. Really. Kentucky second most likely, UC third, Xavier fourth. Xavier's fourth without question. Okay. That's easy. Right. Because, that's that's I mean, easy to me too. One, I, one I, Xavier's just not even close to being the best team in their do conference. You know, do you know who I'm going to pick to win the Big East tournament? Providence. Put all 10 names in a hat and let me just draw one out and I'll run with that. Uh, I okay? feel pretty good about that. And maybe I'll leave DePaul out. But even then, I yeah, DePaul I still, and St. John's, you take those two out of the mix and it could be almost I don't know, St. John's in New York? I, I don't know. That's a fair point. I don't. I don't. So that, that's how I'm going to pick the big, the big East. So Xavier would be the least likely, just because it's just that. It's that, a total crapshoot, yes. and they're not even close to being the best team in the country. That's correct. Um, man, after that, I think Cincinnati is probably third. I think you're right about that because it doesn't feel like they've figured it out yet. It just doesn't feel like Jaron Cumberland is. And I'm not going to say that he hasn't stepped up because he has at times. But it doesn't feel like he's a consistent leader, and he's dealing with whatever this foot problem is that held him out of their last game. Right. So, yeah, I think UC has to be third just because I don't know what they're going to get out of Jaron Cumberland. And the draw for them is still fluid at this point. Are they going to be opposite Houston or not opposite Houston? Are they going to have to face Houston in the semis, or do they get Houston in the finals? Right. Do they get Tulsa in the semis? I mean, there, there's a lot. Do you get Wichita? In, 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 I mean, but there, there's would, a lot that's still fluid for but them. But it would not shock me if they won their conference tournament. No, no, no. I, I agree, but I put them, I'm put i still putting them third. Yeah. The I think, I think the, if, you, if you did, the, the gap between where we would rank UC to win theirs and Xavier to win theirs significant. is significant. So UC yeah. would be in the... I mean if, and then there's another pretty good gap between them and second and first. Now, the gap between second and first is really tight, though. I think that's the, the, the toughest question is, 
NKU in the Horizon I'll League. I'll give you my reason for NKU. Or UK in the SEC. I mean, is it just because NKU really needs to win one game, in your opinion? Well, they they need to win two, obviously, right? Yeah, technically they need to win two, but you feel really good about yes. Green Bay or and, whoever and, they get. And I, I'm, I am a big believer in the it's tough to beat a good team three times in a season. And the last game... I know it was on their home floor, but to lose by two going five of 27 from three-point range, I feel better about that. Like, okay, you went five of 27 and you still right in the game to the very end. And I know Faulkner threw in a three to cut it to the margin, but they also had a shot from midcourt to win it. It wasn't a great shot. It was a heave at the right. buzzer, but you did have a shot to win it. They also had a missed run-out dunk. By, a, had, by oh, a guard who's five foot nothing and shouldn't yeah, be doing those kind of they things. They went six for 13 on layups in the first half. So, like, there are... Tons of missed opportunities. I mean, their road to the championship game, Rick, is one game. That's their road to the championship game, right? Yes. So that, that to me, puts them there. To I think they win that game, whoever it's against, um, even though Oakland scares me a little bit. See, I just do not think Oakland is very good, but you do have, I mean, look. But I think if Oakland actually wins their game, they will be the lowest remaining seed, and they would end up playing Wright State anyway. So I think Xavier, I think, excuse me, I think, uh, Green Bay. I no, they would beat Green Bay. I think they play Green Bay. Oh, correct. Yeah, they play Green Bay, and the other one's Youngstown and uh, UIC. Yes. So that would probably be NKU's opponent, right? If Oakland because they reseed after each yeah, round. If Oakland, so you, so NKU's either going to play Green Bay or play the UIC um, UIC winner. I think they beat either one of those teams. Correct. And and I feel pretty good about that as well. Again, if we're ranking these, I feel best about them. For Kentucky, I just think it's. You get to the quarterfinals or the semifinals, you're probably playing a really good team, and especially in the quarters. Let's and I, I don't, I have no idea. I'm not even doing. I haven't even looked at the SEC draw potential where the the whole ranking sheet. Got. I'm not sure I want to play Arkansas in a neutral right now when they're back to healthy. No, and this, I think they're better. I think they beat them, but I, I don't want to play them. And that's the thing about this Kentucky team is they're clearly the best team in the SEC, but they are not whole, heads and shoulders above anybody this year in the conference. You know, I mean, maybe Vanderbilt and, and the bottom of the conference, but in terms of those middling teams, it, it, Kentucky's not insanely more talented than they are. I mean, let's and say like you, a team like LSU has probably the most talent in the conference. Let's say you go to Florida and lose this week, and Florida is a four seed. Kentucky's obviously locked up the one seed because they've already clinched the, the league championship. What if you face Florida in the semis after they just beat you? You want to play Florida again? I, I don't know mm. if you I, I just think the road is tougher. Now, I also think, as you said, I think they're the best team in the league. And I think if you played a conference tournament, they'd be they'd win seven of the 10. But that leaves a 30 percent chance that they don't. So I'm I'm going I'm, I'm going to stick with my guns. I'm going NKU the most likely Kentucky, the second most likely UC, and then a large gap to Xavier. No, I think that I think that's right. And for your reasoning on NKU and UK in terms of how the bracket falls and who you're going to have to play. But I, I, I do think those two teams both have a very good chance. I think Kentucky is clearly the best team in the SEC, whereas NKU is not clearly the best team in the Horizon League, but they do have the easier path. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so you're going to go You're gonna go the same as Mike? Yeah, I, th- I think you got that right. Yeah. Okay, all right, yeah. all right. All right, move on to our betting pick time. And boy, what a bad week for me last week. It was not good, but we did get another tie out of Ken Palm. How about <laughs> just that? just incredible. I went 1-5-1, and one, sorry. 76-58-7 is my record against the number. Rick went 4-3-1. and one. He's 70-65-7. and seven. It, it, I think it continues to amaze us. That's why we, we talk about how much we like the Ken Palm numbers. And, and again, you don't have to believe in them, but the statistics bear out that over time, they're usually spot on, or at least darn close. We use lines because unlike football, where lines come out a week ahead of time and you can see the lines move and change and all that, college basketball lines come out the day of or sometimes the night, late the night before. So we're doing these games days ahead of time, and Rick uses the Ken Palm lines. He has found lines that have somehow pushed 
games seven times. That's seven times. stunning. Whether to me. it be the total or the spread. Yes, that's incredible to me. Yeah, last week I had two different games. One where I was a point off for each team, so a total of two points off. Another where I was two points off for one team and a point off for the other, so a total wow. of three points off. And on one of it, it was the difference in the bet. So I Holy still cow. lost the bet despite being just a point off <laughs> for each crazy. team. That's yeah. crazy. All right, we'll start Saturday at 1 p.m. Kentucky is at Florida. The Gators are four-point favorites. The total, 136. Yeah, that, that number's probably close to right, but I think Kentucky does bounce back. At the very least, they keep it inside the four number. I think it becomes a, a, a one-possession game late. I'll go Kentucky outright. 64-63, so Kentucky and the under. Okay. I, uh, I'm i with you that Kentucky wins this, and I think they cover the number. I'm going to say Kentucky 73, Florida 68, so that's Kentucky and the over on okay. my side. Of there things. we go. All right. All right, Saturday, 8 p.m., Temple is at Cincinnati. The total is 136. The Bearcats are 10-point favorites in this one. You're assuming Jaron Cumberland plays, right? Senior night and all? He has to, he ha- I would think. I, I would think. But even then... But I, I was shocked that, he got he sat out of right, the last game. He went, he went through the walkthrough. In South Florida. Yeah, he went through the walkthrough and then was in a boot by the time the tip-off And that came. felt an awful lot like a do-or-die game right there. Yes, no doubt. And to the credit, I mean, what a game by Keith Williams. I mean, holy Unbelievable. cow. That, he has had the most underrated season yes. in the city without question, yeah. in the region. Yeah. I mean, no one has talked about him all year I, because agreed. it went, it went. It was the storyline was Jaron Cumberland, then it went, look out what Trey Scott is doing, and then it's back to sort of like Jaron Cumberland and Trey Scott. And it's like, Keith Williams has been really solid all year and each time they need him to step it up a level he's been able to do that yeah and maybe for him that's a wake-up call of look i can be the man and i think some of that time i bet he feels is, that way already is you defer right you're deferring to jaron cumberland on the court you're gonna defer to trey scott if you're keith williams i mean you just are it's just that's that's kind of the natural progression until you have a game like you had the other night and you can prove the rest of your teammates give me the ball and get the hell out of my way because i'm gonna go make a play for us um that said that 10 point number seems awful big to me that's huge you see wins it I think they went in the six, seven point range. I'll go Bearcats, Bearcats 71, Temple 64, Temple 66. So I'll go over. So I'll go Temple covers and the over, but UC gets the outright win. It's a huge number. I'm definitely going to take it on a teaser and and some bet at the actual casino and take it down to about five points. That being said, I think Cincinnati is, is playing for a lot right now. They are still in the tournament by a lot of people's estimation. Yeah, but barely, they, they barely, can't but they are take in. A loss. Right. I mean, they can't get, take a loss There's no all. way you can take this loss. And Temple sucks. Yes, If correct. we're being honest, they really don't have anything to play for. I'm going to say Cincinnati covers the spread just because I don't feel good about Temple getting anything That's done fair. on the road. I'm going to say Cincinnati 78, Temple 65, UC, and the over. Um, and again, I mean, just Jaren, like you said, Jaron Cummins is probably going to play. It's his senior night. You yeah, think he'd I come out with a would. little bit of passion. And uh, UC has a lot to play for, so... Finally, Xavier hosts Butler. Saturday, 8.30 p.m., the Musketeers are one-point favorites. The total, 127. Yeah, I I thought they played hard against Providence. I, I mean, look, you were without Paul Scruggs. You had a short bench. Um, I, I thought they, they played about as well as you could play. If you play with that kind of performance at home against Butler, you win the game comfortably, and yeah. I think they do. I, I think Xavier ends up winning this game. I'll go. I'll go X seventy one sixty five. So Xavier and the over comfortably. Yeah, that game against Providence was one where it was weird. It's frustrating because they got themselves back into it. But. Yeah, and I think some Xavier fans would say like, "Why do they have to dig themselves a hole?" But I mean, granted, the turnovers were them. The turnovers were their fault, and that was a big part of it. At the same time, 
Providence went eight for 16, I think, from three in the first half, or seven for 14, something like that. They shot 50% from three, and I think they started by uh, making like 80%. You know, it was like eight for 10 at one point or something like that, or seven for 10. I mean, it was just a ridiculous shooting exhibition that they put on over the first seven to 10 minutes of action. And Xavier took that punch and stayed right in the game and had a chance to be right there at the end. Um, I thought it was, overall was a good performance. Najee Marshall was unbelievable. Zach Fremantle continues to show that he is just going to be a monster going forward in this conference and is a guy that they can rely on right now. And I thought Quinton was okay. Yeah, he gave him enough in, in place of Paul Scruggs. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say enough because they lost the game. Right. But I, I thought he was serviceable in place of Paul Scruggs. Um, in, in a weird way... I felt like that Providence game, because they showed some upside offensively right. and, and scored with Providence in the second half when neither team could get a stop, which is hilarious because both teams stunk offensively for most of the year and were defensive-oriented. Um, yeah, I, Well, the I one actually, kid for Providence right now, the Pipkins kid, the last couple of he's games, just he's, absurd. Been, he's been absurd. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel pretty good about where Xavier's at, if we're being honest. I'm going to say Xavier wins this one 66-64, so that's Xavier in the over. Ooh, I'm just bar- barely, barely. Just barely, but I mean, I just went... Take the homer pick on every game. I took the the home team to cover in every game. I like game. it. I like and it. And I took the over in every game. I like so it. So that hey, can't be consist- good. No, it cannot be good. That sounds like a sounds like a three and three split. Sounds for you. like a losing ticket. It's exactly right. All right, again, please, Reds, change the music up. Just do it for me. Just I can't do the commercial. Please, oh, well, I got a real good feeling. Okay, I'll look that. Up. I'm gonna listen to Spotify on the way home. Yeah, I tell you what, you may actually hit the median before it's all said and done. It'll drive you crazy. <laughs> it will drive you nuts. All right, thanks for being with us. For Rick Broering, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I got a real good feeling. <laughs>